by seeing these uh, other artists shifting, it almost gave myself permission to be like, well, there's really no boundaries. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> whether <laughs> whether that will kill my career, I don't know. But <laughs> at the <laughs> at the end of the day, who am I creating art for? What is the purpose here? Hi, friends. You're listening to Art and Magic, a podcast where we connect all things practical, magical, and really real when it comes to walking the artist's path. I'm your host, Devin Walls, painter, mentor, and dreamer. Thank you so much for being here. Now, let's get into today's episode. here at the first official episode of Art and Magic, and I'm thrilled because I cannot think of a better way to kick things off than this conversation I had with Satsuki. One of the biggest questions I've wrestled with along my own art journey is, is there a way I can do this thing that is in line with my health Uh, in a way where I don't feel like I'm forcing things or overworking or putting myself into boxes that simply don't fit? Is there a way I can do this that genuinely feels good to me where I can still feel alive and healthy along the way? And if I do things like that, will I still be successful? Um, Will I pay a price for not following these templates and checking off these to-dos or things that I'm told I have to do in order to be successful? And what I loved about this conversation with Satsuki is her way of doing things is so in line with her own soul, with her own intuition. Everything is so intentional and she's been really successful and that's all been very inspiring for me to hear. And I think it will be very inspiring for you as well. We also talked a lot about the practical aspects of what this art career journey has looked like for her. And that included how to make art sales, what goes into developing that artist collector relationship, decisions around transitioning into working with galleries, navigating a consistent or not so consistent style, and everything in between. Uh, If you are an artist who wants to sell your work, and like I said, wants to do it in this really intentional and intuitively led way, there's a lot of applicable wisdom for you in this conversation. So if you don't already know her, Satsuki Shibuya is an artist, poet, and spiritual thinker whose work represents her way of translating the energy of the unseen spiritual world into something more tangible in the real world. Her work blends the powers of art and spirituality, and it's this combination that allows her to connect deeply with others, more accurately define her art, form her spiritual practice, and better understand her identity as an individual. So yeah, there's going to be a lot for you to sink your teeth into. Let's go ahead and dive in, and I hope you enjoy this conversation between Satsuki and I. So I thought a fun way to open the conversation would be to um, touch on the topic of surrender, because I know that that is um, what you're feeling into for the year. Um, I just read your recent newsletter, which I loved. And since we're at the very beginning of this year, and this interview will be coming out still in the beginning of 2020, I'm wondering if you could talk about what that means to you um, for your life and, and for your art. Sure. Uh, so in every year, um, kind of as how I shared on the newsletter, but I like to choose a focus word or phrase uh, instead of setting up New Year's resolutions, because I think that that, at least for myself, helps to kind of keep me grounded in um, a particular space. And so this year I chose the word surrender because it's something that I tend to struggle with, actually, because I am a hardcore planner. I like to mm-hmm. know, you know, when things are going to happen. And, um, and it just helps to make me feel a lot more calmer knowing that certain things are going to be placed in certain time frames. And it also has to do a lot with my health and trying to navigate the balance between life, health, work, um, you know, my spiritual practice, all the things that I value in my life. 
but I've also have been um, on this journey of being pregnant. And I think that, you know, within that, there's a lot of unknowns and uncertainties. And um, what I found paralleling that to my own art practice and spiritual practice is that there's a lot of times where when we surrender, we're able to see beyond these parameters that we've placed upon ourselves are these kind of safe, I guess, safe zones. And when we surrender and just let things happen, even if it feels uncomfortable while we're going through the process and the journey, that it actually is very revealing. And a lot of times I'm even more, um, I would say almost like hyper aware of uh, the different changes and the different opportunities or, you know, whatever is coming up um, that I would have never, ever even thought of. And it all happens very, you know, serendipitously and simultaneously, um, just so beautifully orchestrated. And so I wanted to bring more of that into my life and be okay with the idea of being in flow and um, embracing the unknown. And, um, and when I kind of I guess distilled that into one word for me, what came up was this idea of surrendering and, you know, letting go of, um, I guess the fear ultimately is the fear of not knowing or not navigating, you know, a certain direction or, you know, cause I feel that especially when, you know, we're running our own business or trying to have certain goals in our lives that it's easy to think, okay, I need to set this step and this step and got to go here and have to do that which is great but at the same time i think too much of that can also be a little bit stifling and which tends to be the case for myself a lot of times um in hindsight and so i wanted to bring more of that open energy in um and you know they talk about this a lot in art making too where in order to expand into new ways of creating it's important to have that element of play and exploration and that all the time i think is very much related to surrendering, letting go, being in the flow. So I think all of those things included, um, yeah, I felt that surrender was the right word for me at this moment in my life. Mm, yeah, there's so many gems in there. Um, particularly, there's such a crossover with the creative process. Um, you know, that like surrendering to the unknown. And I mean, we have this in life. Um, but really with art too, it's like, if we're not okay with, with embracing that unknown, we block ourselves off for so much, which I, I heard little uh -huh. pieces of that in there, which I've, I found to be so true there. Um, and I think that there might be some crossover here and ask you about, you know, your entryway into making visual art. I don't know if this was something I read on your website or something that I, I saw you write a long time ago, but I think you had mentioned at one point that you struggled with either chronic illness or, or pain. And I'm wondering, yeah, could you, could you share a little bit around that story and, and maybe how um, making art helped you with that or, or how you navigated making art during that time? Like, um, what's the, what is the, the story there? Sure. So Oh, let's see. I'm thinking how how far back I should go for this. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I I've always been um, drawn to create. You know, I think ever since I was young, and um, I've always been um, into doing visual art. And I also study music, so I think creativity has always been a part of my life. But I've never equated creating to art making, or particularly painting, and you know that whole genre. It's always been more about um i don't want to say applied arts but arts that are more like product design or fashion design you know things that are more tangible in the everyday um and so when i first started on this creative journey as um, a visual artist um after i kind of made the switch from making music and doing um that whole thing i was doing graphic design and product design first and i had my own studio and that's kind of how i set it up and it was going great, I think, uh, in terms of what it looked from the outside, you know, there I was getting clients, I, I had um, a steady stream of work. Um, and I was on the traditional projection of success, you know, as people say, mm -hmm. um, you know, the company is getting bigger, I'm getting bigger orders, I'm working with larger clients. And it came to a point where uh, one season when I was making products, um, at the time, I was making home goods the company that approached me 
uh, asked if I would be interested in mass producing to, um, it, it, it's a company that is worldwide. And so if I was interested in mass producing to fill all their stores, and that would completely change the model of my company, meaning that I would have to look for a manufacturer, I would have to go into management, hire more people, hire more everything, you know, just really expand. Mm. And uh, I was at a crossroads because that would definitely take me out of the the seat of being the creator and I would be more of the manager or, you know, the supervisor. And, um, you know, people around me, I think they were definitely like, you know, why wouldn't you take this opportunity? It's so great. You know, you're going to be more known and all the things that you would think that people, including myself, would want. But I think the more I thought about it, I realized that it, it wasn't. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, the part that I enjoyed the most was the creating aspect of the idea, the ideation, the actual, you know, execution of it. So uh, I decided to switch gears and went into um, one of a kind product design. So slowly shifting more towards, I would say, fine art or one of a kind art, but still not mm-hmm. quite where I'm at now. Uh, and during this time period, um, as much as I was excited about the growth of the company internally, I was having kind of a separate dialogue where I started to feel really restless and stressed, um, constantly having insomnia and just feeling really overwhelmed and pretty much burnt, burnt out by everything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, about three months before, um, I crashed, I started to have more of like this intuitive feeling of, you know, if I keep going in this direction, I'm, I'm going to die. I mean, that sounds really mm. dramatic, no, but I that's get how it. bad it was. Like I really felt that I couldn't go on, you know, and totally. I, I, I couldn't see beyond that. That's all I kept on, on feeling was, you know, I can't keep going like this. This is, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. And then, um, one night I, uh, during, you know, the, my many nights of not being able to sleep one night, I woke up in the middle of the night and, um, the room started spinning and I was just, completely uh brought to my knees I, I couldn't stand up and um ever since then I you know went to the doctors I've seen like many specialists and no one could figure out what's happening to my body because mm-hmm. um, all the tests are coming back fine everything is checking out fine but I'm not fine <laughs> yeah, yeah so um you know it came to the point where I was pretty much bedridden for a while and uh I had to stop everything uh, you know everything came to a complete halt um, my parents came over to help clean and cook and just, you know, I was definitely out of commission. And during that time, I think the first feeling I felt was um, anger. I think that was like the biggest mm. emotion because, you know, here I am at a particular time in my life where all my peers are expanding exponentially and they're succeeding they're making a name for themselves and I'm just stuck in bed not being able to do anything and during this time of processing all the different I think emotions that had driven me to push myself to this point I started to really question like what is the point of all of this Mm. like what am I what am I doing with my life you know and was it even really that important to be doing the things that I, I've been doing? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that was kind of the very, very small inkling beginnings of things starting to switch internally where, um, you know, I've, I was having conversations with my close friends and parents and, you know, a lot of them were just saying, you know, why do you need to push yourself so hard? Like, What is it that is making you feel like you have to do this so yep so the conversation I have with my with my dad that really sticks to my mind is you know how he he always said to me that you know things are forever changing and that nothing is ever going to be constant or the same and the things that I feel were necessary or that I needed to do is just a very small like very narrow view of what things really can be and if I come out on the other end that I would be able to see this and to be honest it was quite infuriating at first when I heard that because I felt very belittled but 
it was humbling. And I think that after I was able to go through the process of going through my emotions and feelings and insecurities and fears and you know, all the different things that came up, I understood what he said. You know, I really understood what he was talking about and that um, there is so much more, you know, beyond the thing that we might feel is important at that time. Maybe mm -hmm. it is, but there's also so much more to it than just that. And so during this uh, two and a half years of when I was out of commission, I started to really uh, connect back to my childhood. Um, I went to go see a therapist for a while or a psychologist. And um, he is the one that actually helped me to see that all the experiences I've had since I was a child that I hid away um, that people deemed as weird or, you know, not appropriate, mm -hmm. that it was a very spiritual part of myself that wanted to connect back and that it wasn't a mental issue or a psychological issue, but that I needed to really figure out what this other part of myself is. And for him, he was very honest and said, you know, it's a little bit over my head, but I have a feeling that if you were to search maybe through starting off with some books or something that calls out to you and just exploring and see where it takes you that you'll find your answer to the disconnect that you've been trying to hide through work or through your identity or through the things that you keep pushing for that was trying to cover up the the real side of you really that you've been feeling very mm, like not not accepted by mm -hmm. so yeah, so I, I started to, um, that's when the spiritual practice started coming in slowly, you know, one at a time, I started reading books, incorporating the things that I felt were true to my, myself, some things resonated, other things didn't. So I started to kind of create my own way of viewing the world. And through this journey, um, maybe about two years in, I heard this voice to paint. And yeah, and it was really out of the blue. I thought I was going psycho in the head. And <laughs> I've never experienced anything like that in my life, um, hearing voices. And so I completely disregarded it for a good six months, just procrastinating, doing other stuff, <laughs> and just you know thinking that, uh, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense to me because I've never studied painting or anything. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I once I started to accept it and try it out it led me to places that i had never ever ever thought i would go and it's still true to this day like i i feel that every single day that i'm doing the work that i do oh that is such a potent story uh there's so many things in there thank you so much for for sharing all of that sure. um i do have a follow-up question um just, I have a lot of curiosity around this and I actually didn't realize that this would be the case that your, your story is so resonant with my own. Um, my entryway into making art was also like chronic exhaustion, pain, and a lot oh. of depression. Mm -hmm. And um, as I was listening to your story, I was like, wow, I didn't realize that there were so many parallels here. So I really enjoyed mm. listening to that. Um, but my, my follow-up question is in terms of, because I also know that I do have a lot of people in my audience who have written me that also struggle with uh, chronic illness. Mm. And I'm wondering if when you started making art, um, if that affected your symptoms at all, if you're still navigating that, um, how has that unfolded for you? Yeah, so I, it's really interesting with art. I don't know, at least for myself, it's not really like a one-to-one -one connection, meaning that because I create art, I my symptoms are better or because I create art you know the issues go away it's not that way mm -hmm. but it's definitely interconnected in the sense of like for example um, if I have days where I don't feel well and I can't get into the studio because I just don't have the physical energy to do it if too many of those days uh, are consecutive then I start to get really restless mm. and the energy just starts to really build inside this creative I don't know how what do you call it for me it feels like almost like this um dragon inside that just wants to like ah you know come out <laughs> mm -hmm. but I you know it's just I can't physically do it and so 
other ways that I've noticed that I've channeled this energy is sometimes I, I write a lot of poetry, so I write because it requires, um, it doesn't require so much physical energy on my part. Yeah. I could be lying down, and, you know, writing. So, or even recording with my voice at times when writing is a little bit too tough for me to do. Um, so I found other ways of navigating it, but I find that uh, the way that art has helped with my um, chronic condition is that I think it, one, helps me to be balanced emotionally. So, you know, taming that creative fire inside, but also it helps me to connect with other people on levels that sometimes is difficult because, you know, with anything in life, I feel like if you have not gone through the experience yourself, people will try to empathize and understand, which is always welcomed and appreciated, but they won't really feel to the core, you know, what you're going through, like the actual experience of going through the issues and the health, you know, whatever it is that you're going through, the difficulty, the day-to-day. And sometimes I feel that art or even words, if they're presented in a certain way, it almost bypasses this filter that we have in our heads of logical thinking when we're talking or um, communicating in a different way. With art, it's very immediate and you feel things when you look at the colors and the, the different mm, shapes and you know whatever's happening. There's something about it that just, I feel like connects on a soul level that it, it doesn't require any explanation. It's just so powerful. And when I create art, it feels like I'm able to communicate to others what I'm going through in such a pure and clear, direct way that um, in that sense, I think it's healing for me because I've always felt since I was young that um, there's a lot of miscommunication or mis um, misunderstandings because of the way that I view the world with energies and things that I think it was a little bit difficult for people to understand when I try to explain, mm-hmm. but if I can show them or even walk them through, you know, with um, particular language that they don't have to, it's almost like they don't have to cognitively understand what I'm trying to say, but it's almost like, Oh, but I, I feel it. I get it. Yeah. And yeah. that is the, yeah, that I think is the power behind um, creating art and having um, something chronic because it it is difficult to um, be in a world where everybody kind of expects you to be okay all the time or you know always I, I call it on you know the on button like where uh-huh. you're always ready to go and presentable yeah and when you have something chronic it, that's difficult because it's a constant I don't want to say battle, but it's always there. And I think that um, sometimes when you talk about it, you know, people push the mute button because maybe they've heard it too much or I don't know, just doesn't resonate with them. And so they're kind of like, hmm, you know, or it's painful to really take it in, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, for for various reasons, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that per se, because we all have to figure out a way to be okay in this world but um yeah I feel like art at least for myself in this journey of healing has played a role of being a support system um kind of within the overall it's almost like a how do I describe it it's like a boat you know it's the actual structure of my well-being and all the different aspects of my life and everything are in it but I feel like if I'm creating art and I'm able to release the energy and express myself in a way that's true then it's almost like at least I have that structure Mm -hmm. to fall into so that even if there's different tides that come or whatever comes my way that I have that as my way of being a part of this world if that makes sense yeah it it totally makes sense (laughs) um yeah, a lot of what I, I'm really hearing in the in the correlation between um, the chronic condition and making art is it sounds like what you discovered was a lot of the root of the chronic condition was, you know, in, in my own words, like suppression of the self or like denial of a big part of yourself. And that maybe was partly showing itself and trying to get your attention in, in a mm-hmm. lot of like the discomfort in the conditions. And 
and the healing component of making art, a lot of that healing is just in being able to be seen in a way that like that allows you to communicate something that is is very difficult to communicate. And so that part of yourself gets to to come out and be released. At least that, that those are the threads that I was kind of hearing. Um, yeah, no, definitely from my own relation. <laughs> no, exactly. That's exactly. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about yeah with with art. Yeah, it's it's so powerful in that way. I, I love that about it too. Mm-hmm. So all of that being said, I, I kind of want to um, pivot a, a tiny bit, um, but not a whole lot, into, you know, once you started making art and, and you accepted this, this part of yourself and answered the call, what, was, what did it look like to start getting your own unique work out there? It sounds like you had a lot of um, background experience in graphic design. So like maybe some of the territory in a lot of ways was familiar to you. I'm wondering what that looked like just in terms, because at this point, um, it's, it looks like you've had some really awesome opportunities and, and collaborations. Um, so yeah, I'm wondering what that looked like for you and if you have advice and what was difficult and, and what helped and things like that. Mm. I mean, to be honest, I feel like I'm still constantly searching for a voice I guess as people like to call it you know Mm. when you have an artist that you admire there's a particular type of visual that you get in your mind of that artist Mm -hmm. their signature almost and for myself I although people tell me you know oh I saw this piece and I knew immediately that it was yours for myself I don't necessarily see that I feel like I'm still on this journey of trying to figure out what that is or even if I don't know maybe there isn't something like that for myself Mm. and I struggle with that a lot in the beginning because I I've you know because I come from a design background one of the things that uh was always on my mind is this idea of branding yourself or having a particular image of yourself and people being able to recognize what that is Mm -hmm. and a lot of the successful artists that I was trying to emulate at that time also had similar structures within their uh, brand, I guess, or name. Mm -hmm. And the difficulty with that was that my personality and the type of person I am is I'm always very curious and I like to continue to evolve. And so I can't really stay put in one place for too long without feeling that stifling almost stale energy coming <laughs> and yeah. so yeah so you know even though um I might be producing a particular type of work for a while that's because I'm intrigued by it but e- immediately if I start feeling like oh I don't know it's like I'm just starting to get kind of bored <laughs> then yeah. I start to venture into a different direction even though funny enough things take time for them to be seen in the world and so it can be a piece that I created maybe two three years ago and then I'll have an inquiry from a client or project and they'll say oh you know we found this piece of yours uh do you, would you be able to create something like that my mind is already three years ahead somewhere else mm-hmm. totally. <laughs> you know so <laughs> and so I've you know I have struggled with that whole idea of having um, a particular signature style. And when I was doing more research on this, because anytime I feel stifled, I think what helps me is I go back into um, research and I do case studies and I really kind of break down like, where is this questioning coming from? And is there any way I can answer it or see it more concretely? And so what I had done during this time was that I really um, went back to study the masters who were painters throughout their entire lives, like, for example, Picasso and Matisse and all these different um, painters, not all of them, but a lot of them who had decades, decades and decades and decades of um, artwork, I found that a lot of them actually changed drastically in their styles Mm. Um, from, for example, when they're in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. I mean, it's very different. And that's when I realized like, oh, it's okay to have a different style. Like you don't have to stick to one way of expressing yourself because humans are so multi-layered and also we evolve as we progress in our lives. And so it does make sense that we see things differently, that we want to express things differently, that we want to say things differently, that we want to be a part of the world in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And 
for some people that might mean um, doing the same thing over and over and that that is a way for them to have a constant in their life. But for others, it might mean a drastic switch um, in their practice. And so what I found fascinating was that because I had hit a wall in my practice of painting the same thing over and over and over again, and I was just getting sick of it. <laughs> and I'm like, I need to do something about this, but I, I don't know how. I don't know. I know I need to make a shift, but I, I'm not sure what it is. Um, I, by seeing these uh, other artists shifting, it almost gave myself permission to be like, well, there's really no boundaries. I can do whatever I want. Whether whether that will kill my career, I don't know. But at the end, at the end of the day, who am I creating art for? What is the purpose here? If my purpose is to be a commercial artist, then probably not a good idea because you want to be constant, you know. But yeah. if my purpose of creating art is truly for um you know, healing, self-expression, for wanting to help elevate people's consciousness, for all these other reasons then it would actually be a disservice for me to keep creating art that I don't feel connected to because if I don't connect, how am I expecting other people to connect? That's just not possible. Mm -hmm. And so when I started to put all these pieces together is when I realized that whether I was in the beginning of my career trying to figure out my signature style and that was just purely by, I don't want to say luck, but it was almost like um, I listened to my intuition and I decided to paint what I felt one day and that ended up becoming the starting point for me of going into abstract watercolor mm. but even throughout my career um, so far I feel like each time I have these like forks in the road I always make sure I question you know okay why is it that I'm feeling this change you know what is it that's driving the change what is it that drives me to continue creating um what are the you know important aspects of continuing to have an art practice or is it time for a shift you know all these questions i try to ask um to be clear so that when i do make the shift it's very intentional um even within the context of exploration and being free and open but still having um a very intentional idea of why I'm doing something because otherwise I feel like it's really easy to get lost mm -hmm. um, in the mix and so I you know for anyone who um, is a practicing artist inevitably no matter how long I feel like you've been practicing we will always hit a block or hit some kind of wall where we start to question the work that we do mm -hmm. and during those times I feel that you know, each person processes things differently. For myself, you know, I go into the research and I like to really dig into like why I'm feeling a certain way. But for other people, it might not be so intense. You know, they might want to just take a few um, weeks or maybe a month off to really, you know, enjoy something else like a museum or maybe even something completely different. And that'll give them a new shift in perspective. But whatever it is that helps the individual to mind shift almost or see from a different perspective I feel like always helps um in honing back into okay so what is it that I'm wanting to create you know does it require me just to let go does it require me to be more methodical in the way that I my processes you know it's very different for each person but um yeah I think that's kind of how I've navigated uh this whole balance between um you know, creating work that feels true to myself and at the same time, hopefully work that connects with other people. Yeah, I, I love all of that. And I couldn't agree more. I, I love when you're saying like, you know, I have to ask myself, like, am I creating for commercial purposes, which is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, mm -hmm. But like evaluating the intention, you know, if my intention is to create work that's going to yield connection and you know, um, express my spiritual awareness and consciousness or, or whatever that, that category is, mm -hmm. um, then we kind of have a choice to make. And usually it's like an honest, maybe riskier choice. Um, mm -hmm. but I do think that coming back to that question of intention can be so, so helpful. Mm. So I'm wondering, like, as you've come to terms with and navigated your style, um, and it's so funny in the beginning when you were saying that, 
you know, you don't feel like you have something necessarily signature recognizable. I totally wanted to jump in and be like, what? I think you do. Um, (laughs) but it's, but I love that you shared that because I think a lot of us are looking at other artists and thinking, oh, their style is so signature. It's so them, but to the artist, you know, if we're in a process of deep inquiry, it probably takes much longer to really feel that way if ever. And so I mm-hmm. love that you kind of share that behind the scenes, um, <laughs> how you really feel. <laughs> I think that's important and it's very relatable. So but the other thing that I'm also wondering is, you know, when it comes to getting your work in the hands of collectors that love it and resonate with it and want to pay for it, um, what has been maybe like your best outlet for that or your best strategy for that? Um, what has that looked like for you and, and what's proven to maybe be the most fruitful? Mm. Um, I feel like the way that I approach my studio practice and business is mm, not very traditional because I come from a, um, a place of like intuition. And so Anytime it relates to, for example, pricing the artwork or where I should sell it, which shows I should be a part of, uh, which galleries do I want to work with, you know, all those things, it's a very intuitive process for me. And I don't, I do a little bit maybe of, you know, breaking it down business-wise, but um, like to give you an example, if there's a larger piece that I've worked on and it's not in the size that I usually work, I would have to come up with a price. And most studios I'm sure have like a particular process they go to, which I do too, you know, one square inch costs blah, blah, blah dollars. Mm -hmm. But after I calculate that and I look at that number, I meditate on it and I look at the piece and I wait for more of an intuitive number to come through. And sometimes Mm. it's close and sometimes it's really off, but I pick the number that feels feels the most resonant with me Mm -hmm. and that kind of goes with every decision I make with business and so as far as how I've been able to sell and which platforms have worked and things like that what I've noticed is that I mean obviously it's visual so I think being on Instagram and Pinterest is always more um, I don't want to say it's more natural but I feel that people are able to see immediately what it is that you're producing. Mm -hmm. But I've also found that it's not always, I don't want to say it's not always enough, but people can look at beautiful images and scroll through your stuff all day and you can make zero sales. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. <laughs> right? I mean, really, you know, and you can put out the most beautiful print and all the people in the world could be like, yes, you know, we want prints, we want prints. And you put it out and you sell zero. <laughs> yep. It's happened to all of us. <laughs> right? Right. So, you know, um, I don't think it necessarily equates to just because you have a huge following on a certain platform or just because, you know, I don't know, you have all these formulas about how to sell work and and whatnot. I mean, yes, I think to a certain degree, it's true. But -hmm. what I found, at least for my practice, and it's probably also because it's just the way that I run my business is that the way that I've noticed collectors choosing to collect my work is because I, I, I know that my price point is not um, something that people people can be like one weekend, like, oh, okay, I'm just going to buy that painting. You know, yeah. it's something that you really have to invest in and take time to think about. And so I know that they're intentionally purchasing mm-hmm. and making a decision. And I think what helps them to cross over to become a collector is that one, they get a sense of who I am as an individual, what, again, what my intention is for creating art. You know, it's not, for me, it's not about the sale per se. Mm-hmm. But it's more about creating art that's authentic and aligned with um, my intention and vision for what I want art to be, you know, in a person's life. Like, for example, certain pieces, I wanted to project um, sense of calm and peace and um, love. And, you know, there's like different uh, energies that are kind of placed within the artwork. And so I think having the col- the collector know who I am as an individual that I my intentions are of authenticity that I want to be able to share that through art with other people. And, um, and each 
inquiry that I get to make sure that the way that I'm responding to them is in a way that, again, is very, um, I like to say that it's important to choose words so that the other person can hear it. And so anytime mm -hmm. I'm talking to a collector or have the opportunity to talk to a collector that um, I'm intentionally making sure I'm communicating in a way that it connects with them mm -hmm. and for them to understand that, um, yes, you know, you have my full attention, you know, if you have certain questions about a piece, like, you know, these are the questions. And I try to really go out of my way to make sure that that collector knows that I'm connecting with them and that they're not just someone I'm just selling to, you know, like, oh yeah, buy my painting kind of thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and that I think also kind of ties back into the way that you not brand yourself, but the way that you present yourself to the world. And right now I work with a gallery called Tappan. And even with them, when I signed on, it was a very intentional decision because I wanted to work with a gallery that really believed in the work that I do and also um, was able to support the vision that I have for my practice. And so that there's no disconnect between my intentions. And even though I might not be able to talk to each collector individually anymore, that um, even through the gallery, that that would be like an extension of that purpose, I guess, or that, mm, that communication. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's all these different pieces when selling a painting. I don't think it's necessarily just like one thing, like, okay, put it on social media and then people will see it and they'll sell. Sometimes, yes. But there's other aspects of my practice that I feel like every little thing together creates this world or this image. Mm -hmm. And then the collector, if they feel aligned to it, will choose to step into this world and then they navigate it. I help to walk them through it. They get to know me, I get to know them, you know, we get to connect. And then finally one day when there's a painting that resonates with them, they'll say, okay, I want to purchase. Mm. So it's, it's, it's almost a journey, you know, it's, it's a process. And um, I think that's what makes it really special anytime I sell a painting and um, makes it worth the effort to create it because creating paintings are not easy. Yep. Um, and selling, you know, and, and purchasing it is not easy either. So it's like, I, I don't know, I, I, um, I found that that's kind of been the process that feels the most uh, comfortable for me. And I don't mind that long, I don't know, dance almost where you're just kind of getting to know each other, seeing how you fit, you know, but once that collector is with you, I feel like it's lifelong. Once that they really, really right once they yeah. really feel um that they're a part of your world it's i feel like that's pretty much you know you're you're connected <laughs> yeah. yeah i i love the way that you know what i perceive to be your voice or your essence that comes through in your visual art i love how there's so much intention in carrying that through you know your approach to everything from your communication with the collector to how you bring them in um, to how you make decisions for your business and navigate intuitively. It's also in line with what I see in your, in your paintings. Um, and so I think that that has such a magnetic power I'm imagining for bringing people into your world. And I also really love the awareness that you have around like what works for you. Like you kind of started that off by saying, you know, my approach might be a little bit non-traditional and I think that there's such power in like knowing who you are as an artist, knowing what your intention is and what your work is about and trusting that that way of being and navigating will be enough to, and, and the best way really to bring people like to connect your work with the, with their rightful people or the people who resonate with it. So mm. I love that whole picture that you painted. I think that's all really, really important. So something that you mentioned in there that I'm just um, kind of curious about, you know, you said that you, it sounds like at one point we're selling your work on your own and then now you're selling with um, the gallery Tappan. And um, I guess that I'm just kind of wondering a little bit about that, the journey of like maybe selling pieces here and there at a lower price point and, and how you graduated to selling with a gallery. Were you, were you seeking that out? Um, did they seek you out? Like how, how has that journey um, been for you? Right. Um, so right now the way that uh, the studio operates is that most paintings are sold through with the gallery and there's certain territories in the world where I still directly sell to collectors. Mm-hmm. 
um, currently it's Asia. Um, but uh, no, I wasn't seeking gallery representation. I mean, I think in the back of my mind as an artist, it's always something that I wondered about, you know, if the opportunity comes, um, what would that look like? You know, would that be something that I would want? And with Tappan, it really happened um, quite beautifully because it was, um, they had reached out to me and I found out that the reason why they found out about my work was because one of their artists on their roster had presented my work to them and said, oh, I think this artist would be a good fit, you know, to the expanding roster of artists that they had. And so uh, when they reached out, they said, you know, we're interested in your work. Would you be interested in showing us some? And I think for me at that time, I was still pretty early on in my career. I think I was in maybe about a year, a year and a half into my practice. And I was still searching for ways of selling my work that felt right. And mm-hmm. um, at that point, I think my price point was still pretty low, I think if I can remember correctly. And, but I mean, it not, it didn't feel low to me. I, I felt perfectly fine. But mm-hmm. afterwards, you know, I found out from other people, they're like, oh, you need to bring your prices up. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, which is usually the case. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> but I felt at that time, I felt like I wasn't ready yet to go there because I wasn't, no one really knew what I was doing. And I personally wasn't sure what I was doing. And so I was like, who am I to say that they need to pay a certain price if I don't even know what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Totally. (laughs) So I think, you know, by going with Tappan, what was great was that, you know, they have a team of experts in different fields. And um, I was able to tap into, you know, their expertise and was advised, you know, to, um, certain things to doing a certain way but at the end of the day what's great with Tappan is that they kind of give me the last call as to what feels right for me and so I never felt that it was um like I was losing my direction or losing my identity as an artist or as an individual that they would still honor what it is that I would want for the vision of my studio Mm -hmm. um so in my case the the gallery approached me and I think that that's not always the case with all artists, but um, so far it has been for me. And I think moving forward, if I wanted to expand more into gallery representation, then, you know, I'm not completely close to the idea of approaching galleries that I'm interested in working with, but at the same time, I guess for me, there's no rush. I'm really, uh, how do I say it? I I truly feel that the universe presents opportunities and gifts when the individual is ready. Mm-hmm. And so I've so learned good. to just, yeah, I've learned to really sit back again, surrender. <laughs> I've uh-huh. learned to really sit back, surrender and uh, be patient and try to just let things come as they come when they're meant to come. And that's worked out so beautifully because I've never since working this way, which is after I got sick, but before I got sick, that was not the case. But after I got sick and have come out on the other side, I just feel so much more happier overall with uh, the way that I create, the way that I approach um, painting and just everything in general, when I'm able to just let go and flow and allow things to unfold as they should, doesn't mean that I don't pursue projects, but there's always a time and a place for things to happen. And I allow it to be as it sh- I guess, as it's meant to be, you know, I know a lot of people might roll their eyes if I say that, but um, that's kind of how it's been. And so when I get asked this question about, you know, the gallery representation or how to make that jump, I almost feel like, well, when the time is ready, then something will come and, that you'll be able to make that transition and feel comfortable about it. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to push for it because we're so lucky. We're in an age where we can sell our art directly to, to clients and to collectors um, in a way that wasn't possible before. And so there's always other ways of selling our work to be um, financially stable. Mm-hmm. I feel like the gallery is just another avenue or another facet but I don't think it's necessarily 
a need for an artist to be a successful artist. I think it's just depending on what direction you want to go with your career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would, de- would depend on if you want to bring on a gallery or not. Yeah, there's so... I love what you said in there because to me, a lot of it ties back to like, you know, you you have to just trust that like the path will unfold when it's time. And I think that something that happens to a lot of the artists that I've, I've talked with and that I work with, and I've, I've been guilty of this myself is you get on Instagram and you're like, I want that. And you want to jump a million miles mm-hmm. and you want to kind of force it and make it so. And unfortunately, like if you're choosing the artist's path where your intention is to create really honest, heartfelt work, you know, I, I'm a fan of saying like that, that has its own agenda and it really can't be forced. And I think it does come back to like your theme, like the best thing that you can do for it is, you know, definitely show up, but also surrendering too. So I love how all of that just really came full circle so beautifully that we couldn't have planned it. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it also ties into um, this health thing too, because you can't push, you really can't. Um, you know, nature has a way of timing things and you really can't push it, um, which is the beauty of it. But also it's, it's a daily reminder that, you know, we only have so much that we can control and the rest we just have, yeah, we really just have to trust. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So I would love if you're open to it to um, start heading towards closing with an intimate, um, semi-rapid fire little round. Are you open to that? Yes, of course. Okay, Okay, so this, these are all finish the sentence, little rapid fires. So the first um, sentence to finish is, if someone really knew knew me, they would know. Mm, That I'm actually quite weird and zany (laughs) love it okay the next one is art is who i am and my life so good um the color of my soul is Mm. clear white oh love that (laughs) I could totally see it um okay the last one is I honor my art by being authentic and true to who I am Mm, so so good okay in closing um is there any little last bits of advice or anything that wants to be said or presence to that we maybe didn't cover or touch on? Yeah, I think that, you know, we hear all the time that, you know, we can do whatever we want, that, you know, the world is our oyster and unlimited possibilities, which is true. But each one of us has different limitations that are placed upon us as long as we're in our human physical bodies. And for some, it can be more limiting than others. And it's really easy to want to try to feel like, oh, we got to fight it or we got to overcome or we have to push ourselves or, you know, there's always this idea of more, but especially with those who maybe are dealing more with, you know, physical ailments or even emotional or mental, you know, whatever capacity it may be, that there is always a way to bring in the aspects that we want in our lives in a way that works for us. And it might not be, again, the traditional way. It might not be um, something that others can understand, but if it makes sense to you and it helps you to be on your journey, then there's nothing more important than to incorporate that. So what comes to mind is, for example, if you are bedridden and, you know, feel ill all the time, but you really want to pursue a career as an artist, but you can't get out of bed, then maybe there's something that you can do, maybe even a minute a day, maybe it's a quick little sketch while you're lying down in bed, or you don't even have to look at the sheet of paper, you can just take a piece of pencil, you know, I mean, a piece of paper and a pencil and do, um, you know, a drawing 
where you're not looking at the paper, you're just allowing whatever is coming through to be transferred to the page. And that can be your way of expressing yourself. So there's always a way to incorporate something into our lives if it means enough to us and we feel that it's something really valuable um, to our well-being or to our journey then you know I I say that there's no reason to feel like oh I need to do a painting once a day or I need to you know work in the studio five hours a day to become like a famous artist or I need to you know there's just (laughs) so much information out there which I think is great for certain types of people but again you know because we're so different it's, it's really, really key to tune into our own selves and what works for us at that moment in our life. Because again, who knows, maybe tomorrow we'll be feeling better. Maybe, yeah, we can get out of bed and we can actually do a little bit of painting or sketching or whatever it is that, you know, that we want to do. And, but we won't know until tomorrow. So what is it that we can do today that will make us feel even a little bit fulfilled and, um, Yeah, so not to be so caught up in what we should do, but more of what can we do to make ourselves feel more alive and fulfilled and um, bring in even a little bit of that. Because I think it's interesting, you know, when they talk about building habits and building lifelong um, goals and things is that it really is just the little daily little things that we do. And before we know it, it builds and builds and builds. And so um, not to be afraid of just doing whatever it is that comes to you and not worrying about what other people may say or do or judge based on your decision, I think is really, really important. I, I wish I could have done it sooner. Mm. Yeah. So, so important for people to hear. Thank you so much for ending with that. Sure. Oh, so good. <laughs> So where can people find you? And is there anything coming up that you'd like to share about? Uh, Sure. So people can find me on my website, satsukishibuya.com or on Instagram at um, satsukishibuya. It's probably where I'm most active. Uh, They can also sign up for my monthly newsletter um, at satsukishibuya.com backslash newsletter. And things that are coming up. No, I'm actually going to be taking a break to welcome um, our first child into this world. And I'm sure that'll also really impact my practice. And I'm excited to see where that'll take me next. Oh, I'm, I'm so thrilled to be able to witness that journey as it comes. Oh, Thank you very so much. Great. Thank you so <laughs> much for being here. And we'll talk so soon. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be on this podcast together with you. Okay, so how inspired do you feel after that interview? What I really love about talking with Satsuki is that her presence is so genuinely healing. And I think that comes from everything she shared in the conversation, how intentional she is with her communication and how she lets her intuition and her soul really guide her way of being in all aspects. Um, I imagine interacting with her work in person has a very similar effect. I also really enjoyed that after the interview, her and I kind of connected around how our way of holding space is very similar and how our energy is really similar. And we got into like Myers-Briggs and astrology and just had a great time jamming on all of that and how all of that for us is very similar. So that's a big part of my perspective on things. So I loved that we were able to connect in that way. So make sure that you head over to Satsuki's Instagram, which is at Satsuki Shibuya, as well as her website, satsukishibuya.com. Both of those links will be in the show notes. Um, Be sure to check out her work and, and follow along as she makes this transition into motherhood. I really can't wait to see how she navigates that and what she shares and even maybe how it's going to affect her work. As far as what we have coming up on Art and Magic, This coming month is full of episodes of this nature. Just to give you a little bit of a teaser, next week my interview is with Linda Coletta. And not only is she a phenomenal artist, but she has some really great practical advice for breaking into the interior design market, selling your work in person and making connections selling work at high price points and to big collectors, really like the hustle, bustle, 
actual details of like how somebody starts selling their work and making this a full-time job. So if that's the track you're on, you do not want to miss that episode. You can make sure to stay in the loop with upcoming episodes by hitting subscribe to this podcast. When you do that, new episodes will magically just appear in your queue. You don't have to search for it or download or do anything. And you can also stay up to date in real time by following me on Instagram at Devin Walls Art. Thank you so much for being here for this conversation. And until next time, I'm sending you lots of love and tons of magic.